where does yesterday's future, which is already here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away? Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now. Where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host, who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. (laughs) Bonnie in the house. I always get goosebumps when I hear that introduction to the new show. Welcome, 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 welcome. If you've listened to me for years on Game Changers Radio, you know the number of welcomes equals the number of guests I have. So let's see what today's buzz is. This is an important topic. I don't care where you're listening from around the world, whether you're in business, whether you work for a company, you have your own private citizen, whatever, whatever, or any combination thereof, this is important to you. We're talking today about the cybersecurity wars. Will new technology help you or them? Now, I've made an assumption that you're on the good actor side, the good guys, the good gals, and them the not so good. We call them bad actors today. I've never heard bad actresses except in the movie reviews, but maybe there are bad actresses as well. So I'm going to open with a couple of quotes I found online from some people who are in the business or observers, futurists, visionaries about the idea of cybersecurity. Let me just read a couple. Then I'm going to tell you who my very, very special guests are. We've got a knockout panel today and you're going to learn a lot from them. So here's a couple of quotes. Number one from Newton as the world is increasingly interconnected, everyone shares the responsibility of securing cyberspace. Okay, just let that sink in. I have another one from Richard Clark. You've all heard of him, last name C-L-A-R-K-E. If you spend more on coffee than on IT security, you will be hacked. And he adds, you deserve to be hacked. OMG. Here's a quote from Doug Shadell. People are doing things on free Wi-Fi that are really alarming. I think he's pointing the finger at all of us. Here's one from James Scott. Hackers find more success with organizations where employees are underappreciated, overworked, and underpaid. Now, my sidebar is that's not an encouragement for those of you who feel underappreciated, overworked, and underpaid to do anything in terms of knocking at the cyber walls of your company, but it's just a thought. Here's one from Art Whitman. I'm almost done. The idea that security starts and ends with the purchase of a prepackaged firewall, simply misguided. So those of you who say, well, I spent $10 million on a firewall, not going to cut it, kids. And here's a last quote from Dan Farmer. If security were all that mattered, listen to this, computers would never be turned on, let alone hooked into a network with literally millions of potential intruders. All I can say is, wow, so many interesting observations on the whole idea of cybersecurity. I have four experts, as I promised you, talking today about the future of cybersecurity and what I'm terming the cybersecurity wars. I'm going to have them introduce themselves in just a moment. So first up, you'll be hearing in a moment from George Redis at Task Force 7 Radio. He's a pro. He has his own radio show on the topic. Thrilled to have George, and he helped us put together the panel. We have Dan Lorman, L-O-H-R-M-A-N-N at Security Mentor. We have Tom Pageler at BitGo. That's one word with a capital B and a capital G. And Andy Bonello. Also, he's been on Task Force 7. He's part of that organization. And he's with Siena, C-I-E-N-A. So welcome to my esteemed panelists. And let's kick off the party. George Redis, welcome to my show. You've got your own show on this topic. I'm delighted that you're taking the time to be with us. George, would you please tell everybody, just in case they've been living under a rock and don't know who you are, tell us who you are, what you do, and what is Task Force 7? Thanks, Bonnie. Thanks so much for having me on the show. I'm super excited to be here. Thank you're you. a rock star with Voice America. Everybody knows who you are. So <laughs> Thank you. I'm really excited. Thanks so much for having me. You're very you kind. Said, I Go am ahead. the president and CEO of Task Force 7, which is a startup uh, with a, it's basically, a, we're trying to build the world's premier cybersecurity professional network, right? And then Task Force 7 Radio is actually a subsidiary of Task Force 7, which is the weekly show you mentioned, and, and it's produced right here on our very own Voice America Business Network, and we focus solely on cybersecurity issues. So we think the show is really informative, uh, and it's not only informative for cybersecurity professionals who do this every day, but people who don't work in the cybersecurity business every day or even work in technology. They're just interested in cybersecurity to learn more about the profession and what goes on. And we talk a lot about geopolitical events and everything. So although the world of cybersecurity can be very complex, 
we try to keep our focus on very highly technical subject matter and, and, and then shift it to a non-technical language that people can understand. We talk in non-technical terms. So the show's pretty lighthearted. We like to have a lot of fun. We crack a lot of jokes on the show a lot of times. So if you, if you like to uh, listen to the show, it's every Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific. And whatever playback medium you're listening to us right now on, I'm sure if you just search for Task Force 7 Radio, I'm pretty sure you'll find us. So, but, hey, by the way, our claim to fame is the guest that we have on the show. You mentioned Richard Clark in the, in the beginning of the show. Yes. We've had him on the show. Yeah. Wow. And we've had uh, Secretary Chertoff on as well. And uh, we also had dozens and dozens of world-class systems like James Routh and Jeremiah Grossman made appearances. So it's a lot of fun. Real quick, I'm before in... I was at Task Force 7, yeah. I was the managing director with Citibank and J.P. Morgan Chase for 13 years. I was a special agent with the Secret Service, co-founded Electronic Crimes Task Force. And before that, I was a detective with the Dover, New Jersey Police Department. I think you know what you're talking about, sir, Mr. George Reedus. I have a quick question for you before we move on to Dan. I know he's waiting. I once said Dan on one of my shows, and Bob is waiting, waiting breathlessly or impatiently to come on the show. And I got to Bob, and he said, how do you know that? <laughs> how do you know I'm impatient? Okay, I'll try not to say that to guess again. But, but uh, George, one quick question for you. Uh, on my quote from Richard Clark, the esteemed Richard Clark, if you spend more on coffee than on IT security, you will be happy. You deserve to be hacked. You agree or disagree with that? Well, of course, you know, I agree. You know, there has to be some money spent on, you know, countering all the money that's being spent to attack us. I and mean, you, when I say us, I mean the good guys, like I mentioned at the beginning. You know, our adversaries spend a great deal of resources that they have from illicit proceeds to uh, target us every day, whether that's personally on a consumer basis or professionally on a commercial basis at work. And so, yeah, there has to be some investment in cybersecurity to be successful. The trick is, getting good managers to make sure you're managing your budget uh, responsibly, right? Anybody can throw, and with an, you know, if you have a big check that you write as much money as you want towards your cybersecurity program, then sure, um, you can make a dent and, and, and put yourself in a better defense and death posture, but the trick is really being good managers in the end. Thank you very much. Good wisdom. Mr. Dan Lorman, you're up next at Security Mentor. Please introduce yourself, Dan. Thank you, Bonnie. I really appreciate uh, you having me on the show. Um, mm-hmm. I am Dan Lorman with Security Mentor Incorporated, and uh, we provide security awareness training around the world. And uh, we also do consulting and work with a lot of, especially government customers, but a um, lot of different organizations that help them understand a lot of the same themes that, that uh, George was just talking about, which is, you know, it's everyone's responsibility and, and, uh, and putting it in, in kind of layman's terms, you know, kind of, large organizations, every end user has a role to play in it. So my background actually started at the National Security Agency, um, like George in the intelligence community, born and raised in Maryland, um, in Michigan now, so as you were just talking about earlier, a little bit of of Baltimore accent there, but uh, born and raised in Maryland, uh, worked at NSA, got my master's at Johns Hopkins, and uh, went overseas, worked with Lockheed Martin and Mantec International in England for seven years in the intelligence community, and uh, then joined Michigan government. So I was 17 years, different roles in Michigan government, uh, CIO for uh, management budget, CTO for the state, CISO, Chief Information Security Officer for the state, actually the first one in state government in all 50 states, and then um, at the end, CSO, Chief Security Officer over physical and cyber security uh, for Michigan. So uh, last five years with Security Mentor, doing a lot of work with blogging, writing, uh, writing for Government Technology Magazine. Um, I've written two books, uh, one called Virtual Integrity, Another one on uh, bring your own device to work and how to do that securely. But uh, really uh, just enjoy talking about this topic, cybersecurity, and certainly the future. Do a lot of writing about where cyber is going in the 2020s. So just really looking forward to the conversation today, Bonnie. And by the way, I, just, um, I will mention, you, know, you mentioned yes. uh, Richard Clark. I was actually on C-SPAN with Richard uh, back in 2013 when uh, the National Governors Association was talking about cybersecurity in the states, and, of course, ransomware is a hot topic right now, mm-hmm. hitting a lot of local and state governments around the country, but um, also worked with a lot of the same people you quoted. So just great to be on your show. 
Thank you, Dan. I'm very impressed with your background. It, you, you are all so invested in this topic. George, you, you brought me a wonderful panel. And by the way, George and Dan, I think uh, we're going to make plans that the two of you will come back, maybe Tom and, and Andy too. I'm going to talk to them in a second. And we'll get Richard Clark on this show maybe in February right. or March of next year. Could you help me do that, George, you think? Yeah, sure. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> It's so easy for you. Thank you very much. I've got goosebumps. Tom Pagely, you're up next. We'd love to hear from you. What have you been up to? What do you do? What is BitGo? Tom, go. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I think I should start with, I also know uh, Richard Allen Clark, who does my <laughs> rack uh, pretty well. We taught, we taught the first uh, cybersecurity class at Harvard and MIT together uh, many, many years. So I'm sure we can get him on the show. He's a, he's a great person. He's led the way. So a little bit about myself and not just about Rack, um, although he is the superstar and I'm excited to be part of such a great panel. I'm currently the Chief Security Officer at BitGo. Uh, we are the largest digital asset wallet in the world. Uh, that's cryptocurrencies. We were founded in 2013, which makes us ancient by the standard of crypto. So we're about six years old. Uh, if anybody knows, cryptocurrency hasn't been around long, so it's uh, quite a fun uh, place to be. And uh, we're we're seeing about you know, we're doing about fifty percent of all Bitcoin transactions are going through us. So pretty pretty exciting times. My security background started uh, like George and Andy in the Secret Service. I ran the Electronic Crimes Task Force out here in uh, San Francisco, Silicon Valley, where I'm located. Uh, I went to Visa, where I was a little head of risk assessments, uh, managing uh, risk for the Visa, uh, the whole Visa payment system, which is pretty awesome. I then went to J.P. Morgan Chase, worked with George again. Uh, from Chase, I went to DocuSign, an electronic signature company. I was the chief security officer, chief risk officer there. And then from there, I went to Newstar, which is a uh, teleco- telecommunication company. And then finally came here to uh, BitGo as a chief security officer. I also uh, am an adjunct, func- adjunct func- faculty and a board member at Carnegie Mellon University, teaching the chief risk officer and chief information security officer executive education program. And thanks again for having me. Oh, I am in such esteemed company here. I'm so honored to have all of you. My goodness. Andy Benillo, let's round out the panel. Please introduce yourself and tell us what do you do. I know you're part of Task Force 7 Technologies and the company of Siena. So, Andy, please tell us who you are. Yeah, hey, Bonnie. Thanks for having me. You know, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's funny to hear everybody talk about Richard Clark. George, I don't know if you remember, but Richard still wants to do the forward to our book when we write it. So we got to get that going, bro. Right. So we, um, <laughs> yeah, I do remember. I, work, I do I'm remember. Chief, trust me. Yeah, man. I have. So I'm the chief information security officer at Sienna. Uh, we're a telecommunications technology company that helps move the internet move and moves in very unique ways and fast and possible and allow users to uh, do all the fun things that uh, they like to do on the Verizon and CenturyLink and AT&T networks around the world. Um, Prior to Siena, uh, I was an executive at AIG. I was a global head of information security, built out all of their cyber threat detection capabilities. And before that, I spent time at Verizon Communications. I was an incident response data breach consultant. I spent uh, my time traveling around the world, probably investigating 100, 150 or so data breaches around the world. So I saw what happened when security failed. Uh, Prior to my Mm -hmm. private sector career, I was also a special agent with the Secret Service. Uh, I had the pleasure of working with the, the men and women there in the United States government, government and I uh, was awarded the Distinguished Service Award from the U.S. Attorney General for investigating one of the largest cybercrime cases in U.S. history. Uh, so we talked about the prolific nature of the cyber threat. Um, I believe one of the hackers told me during that investigation that they stole 75% of the world's credit cards. Uh, so it's, interesting. Well, hold hold on, hold on, Andy. And, Repeat that. Repeat that statistic, please. You can't just gloss over it. That's like stepping on a good comedy line. <laughs> say it again, yeah, please. <clears throat> what did they say? Yeah, no. We, we, they, they told me that they, they, they stole 75% of the world's credit cards. And that's what they had access to. So if you think about that, right, Tom was pulling his hair out over a visa. <laughs> so anyways, amazing that, opportunity. That I, like I got a PhD in something I couldn't go to school for. Yep. Um, and I've been applying that to companies that help protect themselves, and now more specifically, Siena. Um, I've had the pleasure of delivering present- cybersecurity presentations on six continents. I worked with Tom and, and George at uh, the first cybersecurity class at Harvard at MIT. been fortunate enough to appear on the Today Show and, uh, like you mentioned earlier, co-host the Task Force 7 Radio. So thanks for having me on, Bonnie. 
I, I, George, I, I am absolutely floored by the credentials of this panel. I can't thank you enough for helping to engage all of them. I'm going to do, uh, we have a wonderful sponsor on today's show, LinkedIn Jobs, and I'm going to do that. I'm going to read and tell our listeners about a special offer from them, but I'm going to wait a minute or two because before I do that, I want to find out where you're all calling from and a one-answer to the following lightning round question. What's your favorite drink that powers you? So, George, read us. Where are you calling from, and what's your favorite beverage? Uh, you're going to make fun of me, but I drink a lot of apple juice, and I'm calling from New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> in no particular order. Fresh apple juice, cider, the hard kind, the kind that comes in a bottle. Quickly, what, what kind of apple juice? No, the kind, just the kind you buy in a bottle. That's it. I like it, too. I like it, too. I'm trying to cut down on acid, though. So, you know, the, the drinks that are very acetic. So I, I portion it out very, very a little at a time. Thank you very much. Let's go to uh, Dan Lorman. Where are you today, and what do you love to drink? Yeah, I'm in Michigan, outside of Lansing, a town called Holt, just south of Lansing, Michigan. And I drink a lot of coffee, so I have to say, with, you know, cream, no sugar, and Starbucks is my favorite. So I have to say coffee. Thank you very much. We love coffee. I have a show called Coffee Break with Game Changers, and we like to talk about coffee. It's a business show, but that's what we used to talk about. Tom Pagler, where are you today, and what's in your cup when it's your favorite drink? I am calling from Palo Alto, which is in Silicon Valley. Uh, Mm -hmm. During the day, I like to drink sparkling water. Uh, After a hard day's work, I like bourbon. (laughs) (laughs) Any particular brand of bourbon? Yeah, Buffalo Trace. Uh, Blanton's is my favorite part of the Buffalo Trace uh, uh, distillery. <laughs> there we go. You're allowed to say brands. Thank you. And let's go to Andy Benello. Where are you today? And Andy, what's your favorite drink in your cup or your glass or your mug or your stein or whatever your drink or the thermos? What do you love? Yeah, I'm coming at you from uh, Denver, Colorado today. I'm traveling from uh, from the Washington, D.C. area. If you asked me six months ago, I would have said Diet Coke, but I've uh, mm. trying to hold off. So now it's Arnold Palmer, half lemonade and half iced tea. I like that. I think there's another version of that with a little something stronger in it that somebody else who's a, <laughs> a, a golfer as well. We won't talk about that one. Thank you very much. By the way, I'm in Durham, North Carolina. I have recently moved here two years ago, almost two from last week, uh, from Long Island, New York. If anybody knows Great Neck, the North Shore, called part of the Gold Coast up there. And I'm only allowed to drink water on radio show days. And I think you all know why I'm not allowed to go anywhere near caffeine. We'll just leave that one alone. And now a special word from our sponsor. We are so excited to have LinkedIn as a sponsor. So let me tell you a little information. All of you out there, a lot of my panelists, you've got Companies, you need to hire the right people. Well, we all know hiring the right person takes time. And if you're running a business or if you're managing a business unit, you often don't have that time. But you shouldn't let a time crunch get in the way of finding the right candidates for your business. And the important part of what I said is the right candidates. That's why LinkedIn is the best place to post your job. So let me tell you a couple reasons why. LinkedIn jobs screens your candidates with the hard and the soft skills you're looking for so you can hire the right person fast. The name of the game is getting them on board, right? Things like the soft skills, collaboration, creativity, adaptability. Lincoln looks past the work skills and connects you with candidates who will match your business perfectly. Oh, in a perfect world, yes, they can help with that. That's how LinkedIn can help make sure your job post gets in front of the people you want to hire, people who have the skills, the qualifications, and you just heard amazing qualifications from my four panelists. They're probably out there saying, who wants to hire me one day? Well, maybe they're gonna, you're going to find them on a LinkedIn job post and other insights that help LinkedIn paint a better picture of potential candidates. So here's a statistic. We love numbers. We do. It's no wonder great candidates are hired every eight seconds on LinkedIn. That's right. I said every eight seconds. So here's a call to action. You can find the right person meant for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. Pay what you want, and the first $50 is on them. So here's what you have to do. Just visit LinkedIn.com. That's the easy part. Then put in the forward slash and put in the code for this show, TechRev, T-E-C-H, 
REV. That's short for Technology Revolution. Again, that's LinkedIn.com slash TechRev to get $50 off your first job post. And of course, I say in very low words, terms and conditions apply. And we'll repeat that call to action at the end of the show. So thank you all. And we're just absolutely thrilled to have LinkedIn as a continuing sponsor of this series, Technology Revolution, the Future of Now. If you're just tuning in, I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I have a great panel and we're talking about something that impacts you, whether you're just a private citizen, just a business owner who's not that private, cybersecurity wars. Will new technology help you or help them? And we're assuming that you are the good guys, the good girls, the good actors, and them is the not-so-good people. So we are going around the table with my guests. We have welcomed already George Reedus at Task Force 7 Radio, Dan Lorman, security mentor, Tom Pageler at BitGo, and Andy Bonello, also at Task Force 7 and Sienna. Now it's the time in the show when my panelists have very, very graciously allowed me to pull their brains into what is their favorite quote, a quote that's not specifically about the topic, and now they're going to take two minutes each to tell us what in the world the quote they picked has to do with our topic today. So, George, read us. You're up first. And George has sent us a wonderful quote from one of my favorite movies, Beverly Hills Cop, back in 1984. Some of our listeners, George, might not have even been born back then. You never know. And the quote is from <laughs> Axel Foley, Beverly Hills Cop, 1984, American action comedy. I love when you put action and comedy together, starring Eddie Murphy as the one and only, as Axel Foley, a street-smart Detroit cop who visits Beverly Hills California to solve the murder of his best friend. By the way, George, I don't know if you know this, but Detective Axel Foley is ranked number 55 on Empire Magazine's list of the 100 greatest movie characters of all time. So here's the quote George has selected. The super cop story was working. Okay, it was working. And you guys just messed it up. Okay, so George, help me out with all the okays. What does this have to do with our topic today? (laughs) <laughs> well, it's hysterical, the movie. I mean, you're, you're, I'm feeling really old right now because I'm an 80s guy, and <laughs> I love 80s movies. Obviously, I was a police officer, so this movie was um, you know, one of my favorites. And uh, Eddie Murphy is just hysterical. So he's in there explaining to his, some of his spirit superiors what they actually did on a raid of this organized crime group that they were trying to take down. And he elaborated. You know, he lied a little bit about who did what during the raid to make his, bu- his business part. His, 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 his partners look good. Um, and his partners come clean and basically said, that's not really what happened. And, you know, this is what happened. And then they say it in a very sort of, you know, dull, boring way. Cause, and, and that's, that was their characters in the, in the movie. And Axel was this big, vibrant character and this big, funny character. So I kind of see this when I look at this, I'm like, you know, executives want to hear stories. They want to hear stories. They want to hear, they don't want to hear lies. Like Eddie, uh, Axel Foley was saying things that were exactly 100% true. They want to hear the truth. But they want to hear you tell them a story. They don't want to hear things uh, like, you know, a bunch of metrics, like we had 1,400 incidents last month and 400 were uh, handled and 200 are in the box and, uh, you know, the other ones we didn't get to yet. I mean, so, you know, they don't want to hear that, right? They want to hear a story about what the, what the metrics tells you in business, mm-hmm. right? So it's, you know, identifying the truth in the telemetry. That's what we're trying to do here. And every time I see that, I just come to realize, hey, Telling stories is a great way to communicate, and in that in that movie, uh, that's basically what that quote was all about, and it was hysterical. Thank you very much. I love the movie, and there's something about Eddie Murphy and the energy he brings to his characters, whether they're comedic, whether they're action, whether they're serious. It's just he's he's one of a kind. Thank you for the quote and the good memories, George. Dan Lorman's up next. Dan has picked a quote from a much more serious character, a real person in history, who recently had a movie made about him. Uh, it's Winston Churchill. I'll give the full name a little bit of a bio here, Dan. Sir, Winston Leonard Spencer Dash Churchill, 1874 to 1965, British politician, army officer, and writer. He was prime minister of the UK, which is now a a very interesting uh, title for somebody to try and hold. Prime Minister of the UK from 1940 to 45, when he led Britain to victory in World War II, and again, he held the post from 51 to 55. Let's leave it there. Here's the quote Dan has selected from Sir Winston Churchill. Those who fail to learn from history are condemned to repeat it. Dan, our topic today is cybersecurity wars. How does the quote apply? Yeah, thanks, Bonnie. I mean, I think that uh, there's so much we can learn from Winston Churchill. It's amazing. I know England's going through. I lived in the U.K. for many years, and so I, I, I'm not even going to go down the Brexit road right now. There's a lot going on over there right now. But oh, yeah. I think just the wider, the wider challenges we face in cyberspace, 
um, really see the internet as an accelerator for both good and evil, as you you know you did in your intro. Um, and so we're going to talk about a lot of new technologies, where things are going in the twenties, and how you know whether it be artificial intelligence, whether it be uh, quantum computing, whether it be five G, you know all these different things, the Internet of Things. As we think about that, um, you know, there's so much of a new tech, new tech coming out every single day. And as, as we see, you know, the new Christmas presents under the tree and all the different things people are buying, whether it be games, whether it be businesses, um, you know, whatever it is, the iPhone 11, the, you know, the, the new things coming out. Um, I think, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a challenge that we face, which is, um, you know, a rush to market with new technology. Is it secure? Is it, is it just, you know, get it out there quickly? Uh, do we learn from the past? Do we learn from the mistakes of the past? We can go back and, and talk about 9-11. We can talk about, you know, will there be a cyber 9-11 coming up? We don't know. I probably hope there's not, you know, in the 20s, in the next decade. But as we think about the future, we think about the next decade. You know, I know Jana Napolitano, the DHS secretary under uh, Obama administration, uh, back in 2013 predicted within three years we're going to have a cyber 9-11 or a cyber Pearl Harbor. A lot of people mm. aren't predicting that now because it's kind of out of, out of fashion. But, you know, we'll... Will we be able to connect the dots to stop, you know, the bad actors from, from doing uh, really major harm to, to our country, to the world? So I think there's a lot of great, the challenge we face about all these technologies and the predictions we're going to be talking about in a few minutes is really around um, how things can be used for good and how things they can be used for evil. And then uh, will we learn, will we be able to connect the dots, you know, one area like, you know, first to market, you know, is, is, is a big push for new startups. But uh, will security be built in? Will it not be built in? Will we pay the, pay the piper later? So I think that's really what I'm thinking is, you know, around, uh, you know, will we learn from history? Thank you very much. Great quote and, and so well applied. Thank you very much. Let's move around the table. One more seat to Tom Pageler at BitGo. And Tom has selected a quote from Nelson Mandela, also a very important character uh, in history, a real person, 1918 to 2013. Nelson Rohilala Mandela was a South African anti-apartheid revolutionary, political leader, and philanthropist who served as the president of South Africa from 1994 to 1990. He was the president of the African National Congress Party from 91 to 97. Here's a great quote that applies to life for all of us, Tom. The quote from Mandela, it always seems impossible until it's done. I want to add an amen or a a hallelujah from everybody, but it's not that kind of a show. Tom, how'd you pick this quote? Talk to me. Honestly, I think it's a quote I live every day, being in cybersecurity. I mean, every day you're up against advanced threats. You have more uh, and more to protect, as the other panelists here will attest to. Uh, Internet of Things, uh, we have technologies evolving. We have uh, more and more stuff going online. We have uh, payments going faster and quicker, more data out there. So it just seems impossible to protect it. And you have to every once in a while stop and say, it seems impossible today, but we're going to be able to do it. So it's impossible today until it's done. Now, you know, obviously, Nelson Mandela is uh, in the extreme uh, of that. Like, he went and became the president of a country that he completely changed politically. So I, I don't want to, like, take his quotes to that level because I think he's actually done way more than any of us could ever do. But it's just such inspiring words when you think about that every day when you're getting up and you're fighting the fight, just knowing that, you know what, uh, if we don't get there and fight and we don't do this, we're not going to get there and we'll be fine once it's done. Thank you very much. Great quote. And one more stop around the table as we finish up our quotes. Inspiring quotes from my panelists. Andy Bonello at Siena has selected a quote from, now, Andy, this quote is always up for grabs on who said it first, but there are two people who are typically, forgive me, I love quote investigators. Sometimes I live on that more than Wikipedia when I'm looking stuff up for the show. So either Alan Kay or Peter Drucker said it, just so all of you know, Alan Curtis Kay, still with us, born in 1940, American. American computer scientist, pioneered work on object-oriented programming and graphical user interface design known as GUI. And the other one is Peter Drucker, Peter Ferdinand Drucker, 1909 to 2005. He contributed to the Practical Foundations of Modern Business, and he was called the founder of modern management. And he invented the concept of, some of you may hate this, management by objectives. Let's just leave that one on the table. I think we've all been been uh, victims of, we're privileged to work on it. 
symbiose. Let's just leave that one on the table. Here's a great quote from either one of those. The best way to predict your future is to create it. Andy, how'd you pick the quote and what does it have to do with our topic today? Yeah, I love the quote, you know, for a few reasons. The first really is it reminds me of how innovative cyber criminals are. They're some of the most creative people you'll ever meet if you have the the fortune of uh, being in a room with them. Um, And, you know, they don't sit back, right? They're constantly thinking about where is the uh, environment around them changing so that they can get ahead of it. And they want to be there first, right? And that to me is like, the definition of, of innovation and entrepreneurship, right? You want to be there beforehand. And, you know, my father used to tell me, like, you know, you know, I'm sure someone else has already quoted it, right? But that one thing that stuck with me was, if you know, if you're hesitating, you're, you're lost, right? So we've got to be in cybersecurity. We've got to get away from the reactive nature. I mean, we, you know, companies are constantly being notified of breaches and then having to react. They have no control over how they respond. And I saw it time and time again in doing incident response. So we want to pivot from being very reactionary to being very proactive. And I think with the way, with digital transformation and the way the world is changing today, right, the way networks are changing, we have an opportunity to rethink security and, and potentially create a new model. So let's go create it. And we, and this way, we're, we're ahead of everything. Thank you very much. Great quotes from our four panelists. Appreciate that. And now it's time for us to get down to what we really came here for is your predictions. So, George Redis, and as I told you, four gentlemen, no breaks. We're just going to keep talking. George Redis has sent me the following. I'll read a prediction from each of you. We have four from each. Let's see how many we can get to in the next Let's see, we have 23 minutes left. Let's see, race against the clock. George Rita says there's a talent crisis. Not only will the talent crisis continue, but it will get worse. George, what does this have to do with cybersecurity, the future of who wins the wars and new technology? George, go. Sure. So very quickly, as you know, there's a pretty significant talent crisis in the cybersecurity industry, and it's having a really big negative impact on the company's abilities to defend themselves against growing sophistication of the cybersecurity attacks from criminals. And it's also artificially pushing compensation for cybersecurity professionals upward, which is a really good thing if you're a cybersecurity professional, obviously. So now you think the notion of job security and inflated salaries would be a key retention influence over professionals in the industry that are already working in cybersecurity. And they probably are. Obviously, they are. And that those influences would probably serve to attract and retain even more people to the cybersecurity space. But there's other factors at play here that are not getting nearly as much attention, in my opinion. And the talent crisis is not going to get any better anytime soon. In fact, I predict that it's actually going to get worse, and I'll tell you why. There's two reasons. Number one, mm-hmm. I think senior executives and firms are not hiring the right people for CISO and CSO jobs. And number two, all too often, the CISO of an organization is being used as a scapegoat and the fall person when the company has a bad day, leading to all kinds of organizational problems and turmoil when that bad day comes. So if we just analyze those two things very quickly, what's going on with the selection of CISOs in the industry? It's become obvious to me that many executives and CEOs, I think, are completely clueless, completely clueless in identifying the right senior talent. In fact, some organizations give up and just assign the the, the CISO position to someone internally because they can't find someone in their minds that fits the job and that, that is qualified for the job that can lead their InfoSec organizations and basically help them advance the maturity of their whole program. So being a CISO is much more than bits and bytes, right? It's really more about risk. It's about business acumen. It's about leadership. And when you think about it, CISOs are required to run this multifaceted, fused organization that requires this enormous collaboration and persuasion skills, right? Constant transformation going around you all the time. And then you have to have excellent interpersonal skills to deal with a very young, demanding workforce that really Mm -hmm. doesn't react very well when you call them up on Monday morning and give them the marching orders for the week. That doesn't really work with this crew. So nope. it's just not happening. You know, young folks are getting frustrated with the lack of leadership and direction, and then they're leaving the jobs for, uh, for other cybersecurity jobs or other parallel jobs in risk and compliance, audit technology. And then finally, very, very quickly, the treatment of CISOs in the industry is getting downright obnoxious, in my opinion. I mean, as soon as the company has a bad day, it's out with a CISO coupled with a career-ending public hanging in the media they give to them, right? And to my chagrin, even other cybersecurity professionals are looking to benefit from someone else's misfortune, unfortunately, and they you know, say bad things are very critical. We're all going to have a bad day, folks, right? So we're all going to be there. It's all going to come. Uh, so make sure you think about that when someone else has a bad day. And by the way, 
the enormous amount of pressure on CISOs has increased substance abuse and health issues. There's a high mm-hmm. turnover rate, and that just causes a bunch of you know organizational recovery that stifles progress and morale all across the whole the, the whole department. So, you know, I would that's what causes people to think twice about it, and that's why the crisis is going to continue. I think. Thank you, George. Great perspective, and I'm glad I, I on all, all my business shows focus on technology, business strategies. I always try to get the human side, so I'm glad you talked about that, and it reminds me of one of my opening quotes that the organizations more likely to be hacked are the ones with underpaid, overworked, unhappy employees. So thank you for that. Dan Lorman, we're going around the table to you, and I'm looking at your number one, and we're going to get right into the guts of of technology here. It's about AI and cyber attacks. And you're quoting Gilad Peleg, the CEO of SecBi, S-E-C-B-I. Let me just read the quote and then you can explain it for us, Dan. He says, AI will power cyber attacks more and more. In fact, it is reasonable to assume that armies of AI hackers, those of you not familiar with AI, it's artificial intelligence, armies of AI hackers will have greater, faster penetration with more automation, allowing hackers to achieve greater success in executing cyber attacks. Now I'm scared, Dan. So tell me, what, what does this quote mean? What's your prediction, your your personal take on this, please? Yeah, thanks, Bonnie. I mean, I think sort of off just, you know, I as I, as I mentioned earlier, um, I, 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 you know, Certainly, any technology can be used for good or evil, and I know the other panelists were, were saying the same thing. So, certainly, I'm, I'm, you know, optimistic about a lot of good that AI can do with, in medicine and all kinds of different areas. But I think, you know, like I said, that acceleration for good and evil at the same time is, is happening. I mean, I'm looking here at a BBC News um, headline: "Dangerous AI already writes fake news right now today." In, in, in uh, in 2019. So I think the idea that um, AI can help is a lot of uh, products out there in the market that, that show AI is helping. You know, IBM's talking about Watson and lots of other companies use AI, um, or they, what they call AI, I mean, machine learning to be able to, to, to pattern match and watch for different types of attacks and, and be able to respond, you know, real time in some cases or, or provide alerts to people. And I think that's, that's really a good side of it. I think that, you know, the side of it is AI is also going to be used, um, as we just heard from Andy, you know, the, the dark side hackers, you know, black hats can, can use uh, uh, the same, same technologies to um, expedite their attacks, to look for holes, to look for scripts in, in websites, you know, any, anything they can use to their advantage that will allow them to gain, you know, um, a, a foothold. So, um, you know, the, we, we talk about this, you know, in lots of different areas of life, you know, um, it, it's going to play out in, in all kinds of different uh, ways, uh, attacking banks or attacking, you know, different companies, small businesses. We're seeing this with ransomware. We're seeing this with all kinds of different threats today. And I think, you know, they're going out, they're going to use these technologies to even in, in a more efficient, more, uh, which is scary, more um, powerful ways, be able to find those holes and then, you know, uh, target their attacks against against weaknesses. So I think, again, AI will be used for good, but it will also be used by the bad guys. Thank you, and that's what we're here talking about. Appreciate that, Tom Pagely. You're up next, and Tom has sent us another very tech uh, future prediction on crypto and blockchain. He says, crypto slash blockchain. You'll explain how those go together, please, Tom. We'll replace traditional payments before the end of the 2000s. Go ahead, Tom. Yeah, I think what's important here is for people to understand that uh, crypto is here, blockchain. So that's when you actually make payments like Bitcoin, most of us have heard about. And it's actually going faster than we think. And it's going to completely displace what we currently are protecting. So currently, Andy made a point earlier, 75% of credit cards were stolen. That's because credit cards go through issuers, processors. So our job was to protect those entities that chase other areas. Crypto or the blockchain is different. It's a public ledger that's out there that the user has access to. So now instead of going and attacking uh, institutions, you're going to attack individuals. And this is actually happening. If you look at it right now, China is moving forward with a federal government cryptocurrency. Uh, this has the potential to be the first crypto-based national fiat, as in it would, re- you know, for them it would replace the the yuan and become what they use for uh, their fiat. And it would be much more difficult to attack and take. So if you think about that, if we start to have some nation state plays and some other attackers and stuff, you want to move to where you can protect assets easier so they're not centralized in one place. 
Uh, companies are doing this. We've all heard of Facebook with Libra. ICE, which owns the New York Stock Exchange, is doing it. J.P. Morgan Chase has a coin coming out. Wells Fargo does, uh, as well as Franklin Templeton, to name a few. Uh, the reason they're doing this, it's faster, it's easier, it's quicker, and they don't have to store the data. There's less risk to them. Uh, the issue is, how do you protect that now? So I, the, custod- the custodians are going to be king. Those who actually custody digital assets are going to be the ones that have to do it right. And what's crazy is uh, they do cold storage, uh, and that means you're taking the assets offline. You're actually putting them in old vaults. So our whole world of going faster and being online will start to see go offline. We're going to see the custodians being the, the ones who are on the front line. And it's going to be the user's best practices that save them. Doing just multi-sig, meaning that I don't just have a username password. I actually have a username password, some third-party authentication I have to do. And then another entity, probably a custodian, who then verifies I am who I am and allows me to do my transaction. So we are really going to see an overhaul of the way we secure this whole world very soon. And honestly, I thought it would be further out than it is. But as mm-hmm. you see in the news every day with another announcement of a token and an actual government moving towards it, this is here. And again, seems impossible until, <laughs> until, until it's done. Um, this is definitely showing a complete change uh, from what uh, Andy, George, on all of us have done in the past. Thank you very much. I like the way you reference back to that quote. Appreciate that. Andy, I'm up to your first prediction. And you talk want to talk about the fourth industrial revolution. You say you predict physical and cyber will converge. Talk to me. Is this are we now entering a sci fi movie? Are we all gonna be starring in one or is it here already? <laughs> Andy, what are we talking about here? I, I I think I think we're there we're here already, Bonnie. Um you know, it's interesting, and it's happening in, in multiple forms, right? You talk about, like, the connected car, and, you know, things that people do now being done by computers, um, you know, industrial control systems, you know, online. Um, but really, what we also start to talk about is something that George hit on, which is, you know, the, the workforce component, too. And so as we are bringing physical and cyber together, um, and the use cases keep changing, um, there's also a need for thinking about the security opportunities and the models that, that, that that's going to create. You know, if you think of the, the chief security officer typically is, you know, grew up from a physical security, law enforcement, um, mm-hmm. in, in military background, CISOs typically came from um, an information security, technology, engineering background, right? Those are two different, you know, makeups, thought processes, right? And we now live in a world where the two combine, right? So I think the evolution of the way um, our society is living is also driving how we have to protect it and the innovation that can come there. And it starts with, um, you know, the networks, it, it continues on into um, the use cases, the innovation, and then ultimately the workforce that's needed and the skills needed to, to adapt. So there's going to be great opportunities uh, for folks, I think, in the future. Um, it also creates opportunities for us to look at how we want to protect our future and the way we live because uh, the network and, and the way we live uh, in the physical world is, is combined now. Thank you very much. Good to know. Let's go around the table for our prediction number two. Let's see if we can keep it to about 90 seconds for one each one of your explanations. I want to see how many we can cover because you sent me such great information. I want my audience to hear as much as possible. George Reed, prediction number two. This is a really, really important one. Social media will move to an identity verica- verification model. George, all I can say is be still my heart. Please go ahead and tell me what this means. <laughs> So, Bonnie, you are so right. This is important because social media affects every single aspect of our life these days, mm-hmm. right? So if you look at the, the, some of the most popular uh, social media networks out there like LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, I think LinkedIn had recently announced they took down 21 million fake accounts. And then we have uh, last year, I think Twitter took down 70 million fake accounts. And this year alone, Facebook has taken over 2 billion fake accounts offline. Two billion. Now, they're saying that about 5% of the fake accounts that they're taking offline are actually getting through. So they're saying, well, they actually don't take them offline. About 5% of those numbers that get in, uh, it comes out to be about 119 million fake accounts right now on hmm. Facebook. So if you think about that for one second, what kind of influence uh, do they, uh, does 119 million fake accounts have on Facebook? And what is the opportunity for fraud and other nefarious action uh, from these accounts. It's, it's downright scary. So the old model, the old arm model of attract, retain, and monetize in social media is going to change. And I think you're going to see new social media companies come up 
that require uh, the verification of identities and for a lot of different reasons. And, you know, I'll try to keep it as short as possible, but that's, that's what I think is going to happen. Thank you very much. You're right. That's a huge topic. Fake accounts, uh, fake ad, almost any word you want after that one, and it affects all of us. Thank you, George. Dan Lorman, prediction number two. Quantum computers. In less than 10 years, quantum computers will begin to outperform everyday computers. I think those are the ones I have on my desk here, Dan. Leading to breakthroughs in artificial intelligence, the discovery of new pharmaceuticals and beyond. So talk to me about how this has to, this will impact cybersecurity. Go ahead, Dan. Thank you, Bonnie. Hey, I, I want to, before I get to quantum real quick, and I'll keep this to 90 seconds, I, I agree with George's uh, um, problem about social media and fake accounts. I'm not sure it's going to get better before it gets worse, though, because mm-hmm. back to that AI discussion, I think, um, you know, there's so many fake, they're, they're making the fake accounts faster than they're getting them off right now. So I, I, hope, I hope we get to really knowing, you know, am I really talking to George or am I talking to an AI replication of George? Um, but it'll be interesting to see, you know, how all that happens because uh, uh, I'm not as optimistic as he are that we're going to get there in the next five years. But anyway, back to quantum computing. You know, it's such a hard topic. Most people don't really even know what are quantum computers, what will they do. Um, they're certainly supercharged, you know, literally millions of times faster than your average PC, and they can do amazing things and not just find things in outer space, but they can do computational chemistry, machine learning, you know, new banking, big data analytics, you know, artificial intelligence, all this together. There seems to be a new headline coming out almost daily on what new things we'll be able to do. But one of the other sides of it is many people are predicting, many experts say it will totally change cybersecurity and that cryptography will be broken. So, you know, we, we think so much right now in cybersecurity um, about being able to encrypt data, being able to block data. Um, you know, bad guys, if they get my data, it's encrypted. They can't necessarily use it. Or they may need a supercomputer to, you know, to unencrypt it if they don't have the key. Um, you know, I think a lot of that could dramatically change, and there's, there's, there's a lot of pro and con to that. There's some people think this could be a good thing, um, but there's a lot of people think we're going to totally have to wipe the board clean, almost like, you know, erase your chalkboard and start over with quantum computing and cybersecurity and, and how that affects encryption. So I think look for this space over the next decade. Um, uh, a lot of experts are predicting, and I, you know, tend to agree that we're going to have a whole new view of encryption um, in the next 10 years. Thank you very much. Tom Page, I'm moving to your prediction number four, because I think we covered a little bit of the others in some of the other comments. So number four, you talk about security and development and operations will merge into one area. This is an important perspective, Tom, for our business listeners around the world. So what's your prediction here, please? I actually think that uh, security operations are just, they're already merging. They're going to do more and more of that. Uh, currently, in my role, I do run operations. I run physical security, information security, uh, customer support, solution engineering. The reason why we do that is everything has to be secure from the start, from the get-go. And I think all companies are running into that. You can't have decisions anymore to say, hey, I want to operationalize this, and then we'll get security into it later. You have to take a security perspective as you build. We've seen time and time again uh, breaches of companies that took, um, you know, ID, they took this, they made decisions that they thought were sound decisions um, to operationalize quickly and what they thought was the best, but they did not think about the risk or the security implication. And when it goes bad, it actually costs more money than they could have ever made. So we're just seeing more and more of emergence of that. I, uh, for those who understand security and, and operations. We usually have a network operations center, a security operations center. I'm seeing those joined together. So that's when something goes bad. You call in. You have the same expertise in there, and you just handle everything that's there with the security event, not a network event, because if it's a security event, you want to handle it immediately like a security event. If it's a network event, you'll handle it and get it done anyway, but it's not. If you're under attack, you need to immediately uh, respond to it. So I think we're going to see more and more of that, and uh, I'm definitely seeing that in my role, doing much more of that. I'm sure the other panelists are as well. Thank you very much. Andy Benilla, we're going to your prediction number three, 5G. I don't think we've heard that mentioned yet. It's certainly a hot topic, good, bad, 
pretty, ugly, good, evil, happy, everything. So you say 5G untaps the potential for the network. New innovation will create new security opportunities. I'm assuming that's a positive, happy opportunity. So, Andy, we're almost out of time on the whole show. Why don't you take uh, 90 seconds to talk about this, and then we'll do a, a quick recap around the table. Go ahead, Andy. Yeah, sounds good, Bonnie. I mean, 5G is an interesting thing, right? I mean, we started looking at how mm-hmm. the different use cases for how we use, you know, we live today, right, with mobility. And I think what's going to happen is the network's going to continue to be pushed out and be more federated. So you're going to see, for instance, like sensors on light posts, right, and, and move the network more to the edge of the network. So 5G is going to untap, you know, much more processing power, enabling a lot more use cases. Um, data analytics is going to increase. Um, opportunities for innovation is going to increase. And I think that's, we just have now that the network is being rethought uh, to, to deal with the increased demands that we're, we're users are, are forcing on it. Um, you know, there's an opportunity to rethink security and move it closer to where the data is traversing the internet um, as opposed to dealing with it in, in each corporation. So I think, uh, you know, 5G just untaps the potential of, of what internet providers can do um, by the way it's architected and will enable um, so much more decision-making at, at much uh, greater speeds um, by leveraging, you know, adaptive networks and things like that and just allow people to be innovative and creative. But I think it does create new security opportunities for us to rethink and embed security into this new model. Thank you very much. We're just about out of time, but George Redis, I just want to do one more prediction from you in just 60 seconds. Got to keep it tight. You're on radio all the time. You know how this works when you're up against the clock. Your prediction number three was emerging technologies. You say emerging technologies, but you didn't define them in your statement, will produce introduce unprecedented risk into corporate environments. Can you quickly tell me what those emerging technologies will be and how bad will the risk be? George? Yeah, sure, sure. Real quick, we're talking about IoT, we're talking about robotic process automation, mm-hmm. AI, we're talking about 5G. The, the constant assessment of even migrating operations to the cloud, right? That's a huge problem right now that everybody's dealing with on an ongoing basis. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard executives getting egg on their face after implementing a failed RPA into their operation because they didn't properly assess the risk associated with the new technology being integrated into the process. Right. So at the same time, it all goes with IoT and AI, not only with the technology being stood up by the early adopters and the operations, but I think it was mentioned before, that's not only in the product and services companies offer, but it's also the dependence on, you know, the bad guys, dependence on building these, you know, models where they're inserting AI and how adversaries are using these emerging technologies to build attack tools like artificial intelligence malware. Right. I mean, even a year ago, I think there was an article came out about, uh, deep locker that IBM research. This was a year ago that they were using uh, current malware techniques to create this particularly challenging new breed of malware using AI, right? And it's just thank you, George. Um, it's thank it's you. a problem that we're going to have uh, not only internally but externally as well. To be continued. We got to do part two in February. You're going to get Richard Clark from me. Thank you very much. Here's a reminder to all of my listeners. LinkedIn call to action. Our special sponsor today. Find the right person meant for your business today with LinkedIn jobs. Pay what you want and the first 50 bucks is on them. Visit LinkedIn.com slash TechRev, T-E-C-H-R-E-V. That's the code for this show. LinkedIn.com slash TechRev, $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. I want to thank my co-producer on the show, Ryan Treasure, VP of Broadcast Operations and Everything at World Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Appreciate you, Ryan. Aaron Keller, our engineer extraordinaire, gets us on the air and keeps us there. And to my four extraordinary panelists, George Redis, you're a hero to me, not only for what you do, but for bringing me such wonderful guests to join you on the panel. George Redis at Task Force 7 Radio, Dan Lorman, Security Mentor, Tom Pageler at BitGo, Andy Bonello at Task Force 7, and Sienna. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I just want to tell you that next week we will have a very interesting show, October 2nd, Wednesday, and the topic will be, get ready for this, HR Human versus HR AI. Who is exactly hiring and firing you? Is it a poison or an algorithm? We're going to find that out with another great panel. So thank you for listening. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Have a great day. And remember, technology revolution, the future of now. We are all making the future right now. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now.